So, if you didn't know, uh, I am one of four siblings in my family. So I have an older sister who's uh, four, just over four years older than me, and then, and then me, and then I have a brother who's 18 months younger than me. Uh, our first two kids are 18 months apart, too, so nice and close. And then I have another brother who's almost nine years younger than me on the other end. And so uh, the sibling rivalry in our house was uh, pretty thick. Uh, growing up, uh, we were the Manning boys. All right, not the, not the Razor rocket arm quarterback, uh, that Super Bowl champion, MVP, uh, man crush. Uh, no, we were... Um, we were, uh, we were quite competitive, and still are, actually. Uh, both my uh, two younger brothers are knowledge hounds and love just taking in knowledge and, uh, and learning as much as they can. But the rivalry was never greater between me and my younger brother, Matt, who is only uh, 18 months younger than me. Uh, oftentimes, growing up, uh, our rivalry went to blood. Uh, we've done things like set up bike courses around the house, ended up pushing ourselves so hard we rode into the swimming pool. Uh, we had four-wheelers growing up, and my brother wanted to beat my time so bad on the four-wheelers that he split a tree in half with his helmet as he hit it. Um, uh, we, growing up, we went to Seattle Sonics games. Do you guys know the Sonics? Oh, wow, yeah, no. They were a basketball team we used to have, uh, but we would go to these Sonics games, and on the way home, we had a an indoor basketball little mini hoop upstairs and and my brother literally pushed me through the sheetrock in the sidewall of an exterior wall uh, and the patch is still there on the wall Uh, but our, our rivalry was great. We had a boxing match uh, in, in, underwater in the swimming pool. I had braces on. That didn't end very well uh, for me. But we were at each other quite a bit when it came to sibling rivalry. So now we are two weeks into summer, and I dread the years ahead of my children because I already think that they might kill each other this summer. With the way they are at each other and, you know, I mean, my daughter is, she's, she's just, she's turning 10 here in a couple months and my, my son's 11, going to be 12 this year and they are just at each other and my daughter knows how to push his buttons, like, and get in, get in on him and put, put her finger down on him and just be like, man, and it, and it really pushes him and she knows how to do it with, that, with, that, with her littlest brother as well, who's a few years younger than her. And so this morning, as we continued this Flawed series, if you haven't been around, we're doing this series uh, titled Flawed, where we're looking at Hebrews 11. And if you don't know what Hebrews 11 is, Hebrews 11 is basically the Hall of Fame of Scripture. Inside Hebrews 11 is upwards of 20 names that are mentioned of people who, by faith, were used by God. And in most cases, these people that we're looking at have 
great flaws in their life, as do I. And as I talked about last week, we have no perfect people allowed. So if I had you to raise your hand and asked if you were flawed, you would all have to raise your hand. If not, you would have to leave because uh, there's no perfect people allowed. But the stories throughout the Bible are about how God uses flawed people who by faith do amazing things. Now this morning's a little different because the specifically who's mentioned in our verse today, there wasn't much fault in him, but definitely didn't live the life fully that, that he would be entitled to, that God would have blessed him with. Because ultimately, the story we look at today is the greatest story of sibling rivalry maybe ever. And so we're going to be in Hebrews 11 as we continue this flawed series. Hebrews 11.4 reads this. And it's, it's interesting, as we've looked at now uh, two people in intro week and then two people, and we'll go on for about, about seven or eight more of them. But they say, by faith, so-and-so did this. And so this morning... Hebrews 11.4 reads this. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And now what you might say if you know this story at all is that what can we learn from this example of sibling rivalry? I mean, after all, Cain won the battle, right? I mean, he literally just took out his brother and eliminated eliminated Abel. And if you didn't know, uh, Hebrews 11 spoils the story that we're going to be looking at today, that Abel dies. Abel dies. So that's the end of the story. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, but what I want to do today is as we look in this, I want to look at, in a sense, why is it that Abel, an Old Testament, short-lived son of Adam, makes it into the New Testament in this Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame. And I also want to know, what's up with Cain? Like, I'm an older brother of two, and so I want to know what pushed Cain enough to make him do what I, as an older brother, often think about to do. So if you're an older sibling, I mean, you, you, the thoughts crossed your mind, you know? And so what is it with Cain that drove him to do this. Because I tell you what, this story, as the more I dove into it, and hopefully we have time to get through everything that we looked at, we're going to look at today, but uh, the more I dove into it, it's a super unique story. And there's so much wrapped up in, in the story between these two brothers that's written uh, in, in Genesis that, that will bring meaning to why Abel is written into this Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame. And what I want you to do this morning as we read this is I want you to consider reading. You probably, maybe some of you have read some of the book of Genesis before or, or, you know, kind of pieced through it and went and looked at what creation was and, and Adam and Eve and what came after that. This falls right after Adam and Eve. But what I want to challenge you as we look into Genesis 4 and, and just briefly talk about Genesis 5, uh, I want you to possibly read it differently than you have in the past. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this. Genesis was written uh, perfectly, was authored by God, penned by what is pretty confidently known as Moses. Uh, that's the widely accepted um, uh, understanding of who authored Genesis. But here's the deal. When we read this, we tend 
to read it as a novel. And I know we can read, we know the end of the story that Jesus actually rises from the dead and, and then we can get into revelations as to what is to come. But what, 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 I, what I think and what I know for me that we often do with Genesis is we read it as a novel. Like as something that's just recorded step by step exactly what happened in uh, the creation and on through. And if you didn't know, I want you to read it with this lens a little bit. That Genesis was actually written by Moses later on specifically to provide uh, God's children, the Israelites, with a history of what happened. With what happened, where they come out of, uh, what happened in the beginning, so that the, the children of God, the, the Israelites, knew what happened uh, in the recordings and where their ancestry came from and why there was... You know, there was uh, people who despised them and, and the battle between good and evil and, and all that kind of stuff. It's all in Genesis. And Moses recorded it as a tool for God's people to know all of that what happened. So it's not necessarily what you would think of a novel. As you read it, you, you go through first few chapters, you know what's going on. Chapter 4, it all builds on itself. And then you read the end and the finale. This is a look back in a, in a historical uh, text for what happened. Uh, in Genesis. And he wrote this book specifically to provide that for his people. So uh, Genesis 4, uh, it, starts, uh, it starts in Genesis 4, verse 1 and 2, uh, Cain and Abel, sibling rivalry, here we go. So Genesis 4, 1, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she, be she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel, and now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So we see Cain is the firstborn uh, of Adam and Eve. Uh, his name actually means possession, uh, uh, or uh, highly valued. Uh, and Eve saying this by where, she, where it's recorded that she said, I gave birth to a man. Like there was great value in who Cain was. Nothing in scripture tells us other than that, that Cain received what at the time and culturally was the value of a firstborn in their family. Cain received nothing less than that. Scripture doesn't tell us anything otherwise. Now also scripture tells us that we actually don't know that Abel was the secondborn. I did a lot of looking into that this year, or this week as I looked at it because I always thought Cain and Abel, you know, firstborn, secondborn. Scripture actually tells us in Genesis, it just says later. Later Abel was born from Eve. And so we don't know specifically that uh, Abel was the secondborn, but we know that Cain was first, Abel came later, and that entered in the sibling rivalry. Abel's name means vanity. So uh, Eve says... In name, they say, in naming Abel, that he was, uh, he was vanity, that he was an extra blessing because they had already had Cain. So this, they valued Cain. Abel came and was like, this is a, another blessing from God. And then the sibling rivalry begins. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions of some of the firstborn of his flock. 
And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So, when we read this, uh, they are, going, again, going to filter. So Moses records this for the Israelites to know the history. And they're actually reading this through the filter that we... It's hard to even filter it and, and think through it this way as well, but they definitely would have as they, as they read this. But the Old Testament, they would have read it with a filter of knowing about Abraham, knowing about the old covenant that God had with the animal sacrifices. Uh, they would have known uh, about the firstborn son and the value of that in a relationship. They would have just gone through uh, the Passover, and that's where they sacrificed uh, a, a worthy lamb put the blood on the doorpost and then the night that death passed over him and they had the Passover they would have read all of that that would have been their filter for reading uh, this story of Cain and Abel and what had come and I think when we read over this we seem to think that we can hear that okay well Cain brought an offering Abel brought an offering and God didn't like one of them that God actually didn't even accept an offering. And if we look at it, the text actually says that he, he did not have favor with Cain in his offering. So I think that there's something else in there. If you ask me what it is, I'm just going to tell you I don't know because it's nowhere else in Scripture. But God obviously says that there was something wrong with Cain in his offering. So what we know is if we look at this narrative in Hebrew 11, it focuses on on the offerings that Cain and Abel brought, right? The verse 4 that I already read said, by faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the tale of two offerings, the tale of two offerings that were brought. The first one, Cain's offering was selfish and easy. Based on the text, based on what, what, what I've read and what I think, Cain's offering was selfish and easy. Listen to how it's put. In the course of time, Cain brought, what does it say? Some. Some of the fruits and soil as an offering to the Lord. At this time, when Moses is writing this, there is a heavy influence on animal sacrifice. So that was, that wasn't the forgiveness of, of sin or wrongdoing at that time. It was merely a bridge or a gap or a a, a time card for people to sacrifice animals because at that time they all believed that Jesus was going to be coming. The people who are reading this. And so that was instantly one thing that, uh, that, that was looked on as, as against Cain's offering. That Cain had just brought some of the fruits and uh, vegetables of the or fruits of the soil is what it specifically says. And uh, because of that, we believe that we believe that Cain's offering first off started on the wrong wrong foot, and we know that Hebrews nine twenty two just starts off earlier, just before that, and defines it as this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, for us, in reading this, we have uh, the the new covenant, and that's with Christ, and that's through Christ, through the cross, through his perfect blood that was sacrificed for each one of us, and that is the only way to true forgiveness. That the sacrifices of animal at that time were just that delay in 
and, and covering for them until the day of Christ. And the day that what they would consider Christ would be sent for all people. But Cain's offering was bloodless and was of his, what I consider to be his leftovers. He just brought some. Some of his crops. And it's selfish because it came out of what was easy and what he had ample of at his fingertips. He was a worker of the field and he thought, well, that's what I would bring for God. Now, it goes against what God had already established uh, early on in what, in even what Genesis uh, maps out in Genesis 1 and creation, Genesis 2 and the in Genesis 3, in the fall, in the separation that they, that they had with uh, God. Now, let's look at Abel's offering. And here's what it tells us in Genesis uh, of, of his offering. Uh, it says, in, in Hebrews 11, it says that uh, Abel's offering was better, than, was better than Cain's. In verse 4, it says, Abel also brought an offering of fat portions. Now, I don't know about you, Fourth of July weekend is coming up, and I know it's like kind of a fad or whatever to get the leanest meats and, you know, really lean, less fat, you know, we want to be healthy, but if you barbecue or if you meet, eat meat at all, what's the best cut? The nut, who said ribeye? That is it. That is it. Father's Day, every year, Fred Meyer has a sale on ribeyes, and I get it every year. And what's great about those ribeyes is it's just marbled with excellence and goodness. Oh, man. But, and that's what this is. That's what this is alluding to. Fatty portions of what? What does it say? Fatty portions of what? Firsts? Is it up there? Oh, well, that's up there. First and it's, and at first and it's bests. So it was, for me, and I learned it's also called Spencer cut. Spencer steaks are the same as ribeyes. I don't know. My father-in-law taught me that. So, uh, But uh, he brings that. And then it says, uh, it also tells us that, And Abel uh, also brought an offering of fatted portions, some of the firstborn of his flocks. Now our God, the creator of the universe, the creator of you, the creator of me, the author of everything that goes on, deserves what? Whatever we have left over? Or do you deserve more about what Abel's offering was? The fatty best portions of our firsts. And that's a concept that goes all throughout Scripture. Abel's offering was of firsts and bests. It was an offering of his first firstborn of his flock, which of that time was a big deal because who knows what the crop was eventually going to be. They didn't have control like we do now of even, even of their crops, uh, but of their livestock. You know, who knows what's going to be offered, the animals that are going to live or die. Uh, the controlled environment we have now was non-existent. So Abel honored God with what he brought and offered uh, and he, he was aligning it with what we, what we know of. It's, a, it's actually taught a lot throughout Scripture, but Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled and overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. 
So what does this mean for us? So uh, right, it, it, it causes us, now we, none of us have to uh, have animal sacrifices. Uh, if you're into animal sacrifices, wrong church. Um, but uh, none of us really understand that. Uh, we can maybe relate to our wealth. I mean, it, you know, just to kind of throw it out there, for many of us, the thing we value most outside of hopefully our relationships here on earth and God is, is probably money and wealth. It's not everything, but it sure makes a lot of things easier. Uh, and so uh, we maybe can get a glimpse of that uh, through our tithes and our offerings. Uh, but still, what, what is taught in this, uh, in this original Genesis writing of Cain and Abel is much more than the action of giving of your firsts or your bests, right? It's much more than that. So I came up with, because, because we, can, we can barely relate to animal sacrifices and working, how many of you are farmers that work the field for a living? You know, that's bank, it's money, it's not, but no. Uh, so, uh, but we, it's hard to even relate to that, our first of our crops. So what I did is I came up with a list of offerings that would be modern day struggles, like Cain and Abel would have been faced. And that's this, uh, a list of offerings. And this is just, it's, I've got some scripture to support some of it, but it's, it's more ideas that I find uh, translate for us this morning. Number one, uh, an offering for God that is good deeds and moral living. That's a Cain offering. Good deeds and moral living. Galatians 2.21 says, do, uh, do, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, and this is the law of, you know, the, of Moses' law, like keeping to it and staying in line with it, uh, if, if that is what it's about, then Christ died for nothing, Galatians says. I do not set aside the grace of God, for uh, if righteous could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So offering, a, uh, offering a, uh, an offering given to God of merely good deeds or moral living is a Cain offering. That isn't an offering that honors God, and actually it devalues the work that Christ did on the cross. Number two, uh, the wrong offering would be uh, my right mind or sincerity. So I, I, I believe or I feel it's all right, the things that I'm doing, and so uh, I know maybe I've ignored or I've heard, uh, you know, scripture and the truth about something, but I've just ignored it in my life uh, just to justify myself. Uh, your conscience, your conscience is a bad uh, measurement of, of, uh, of right or wrong, right? Because ultimately your conscience changes, right? How many of you maybe at some time thought uh, something was was wrong, but now you think it's all right. So how about the opposite? How many of you at some time thought something was right, but now you think it's wrong, right? I mean, we, that changes for us. We change that. We come to the decision on ourselves, but honestly, hopefully it's through scripture. Like we read scripture, we discern what God's teaching us, and then we form this new conscience. But if it's solely based on what I write, or what I sincerely believe, like I, I sincerely believe that that's all right to do that. That's just you changing your conscience and being able to then, uh, you know, justify something 
in your life. 1 Corinthians 4.4, written by the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was an author in the Bible, pretty big guy. Uh, He said, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So the measure of, of right and wrong or the ability to be sincerely and sincerely believe something resting on your conscience, that's a cane offering. Number three. This is a great one for us that are gathered every Sunday morning. Those of you that have decided to spend your sunny uh, 4th of July weekend with us. uh, An offering of religious rituals or services, customs and formality and procedures. So that that is an offering that if you say, well man, I pray every day. Or I go to church every Sunday and that's how I'm measuring my, uh, or what I'm offering to God, that my attendance record, or my, now great, granted, I love that you guys are here, I love worshiping with you, uh, I, I actually strongly encourage you to pray every day and read your Bible, but oftentimes we get, we get bogged down by the rituals of our religion, and justify ourselves by the fact that I haven't missed a Sunday in five weeks, or uh, or, you know, I, I'm praying every morning or I'm reading my Bible every day. So that justifies me. Again, that's not an offering that, that God wants. God wants our hearts. And we'll get into that as well. Right? All right. And the last one. I love this one because I love, as I've already introduced, uh, going out to eat, restaurants, nice food. This is an offering of menu. Menu options, I call it. And this is where we pick and choose off the menu what we want. What we want to apply to our lives, what we want to live by. Uh, and we deem, well, man, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do this, this, and this. But, you know, this, this is too expensive. This costs too much. And ultimately, I just become somebody who just does exactly what I want. And in 1 John uh, 2, 3 through 5, it says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know, but does not keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we we know we are in him. So a Cain offering to God is just picking and choosing exactly what you want to do. That works, that fits, that doesn't cost too much. It works for you. All right? But... What I want you to hear this morning is that your faith is in your offering. Your faith is in your offering. Whatever offering you bring to God, that is the definition of your faith. All the lists, the list of the four that I've given you above, those are offerings that rest on our own ability. That rest on our ability to do something right, to, uh, to s- sincerely think something, uh, to live out good, good deeds and moral living, uh, to attend church regularly or pray. or I mean, that, that, that falls back on our ability to do something, which goes against anything that, that, that Galatians 2.21 says, that Christ died for nothing. Then. If, it's, if it's reliant on what we are able to do, then Christ died needlessly. Your faith is in your offering. It's not about the notches on your belt of what you've accomplished or what you've done. 
It's what you're willing to give to God. Cain gave off of that list. He gave off of what is easy, his some of what he was working in the fields. And because of that, God did not look down with favor on his offering. Genesis 4, uh, the second half, I stopped uh, verse 5 earlier because I wanted to pick it up here. Uh, Genesis 4, 5, after this, after God has basically made it clear to Cain that he, he didn't look down on favor as an offering, it says, so Cain was angry and his face was downcast. This is that look that I often see from my kids when they're upset at their siblings, right? The, I'm going to get him. Look that. I, didn't, I don't have it down. Avery, it would be amazing to you. Avery, my sweet little daughter, is a great executor of that look, right? She has got that look down when it comes in. And, and Heather and I know that we better step in pretty quick because she actually probably take both of our boys. Uh, just throwing this out there. But uh, that is the look. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And what Cain heard uh, from God when the Lord said, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do right, you will not be, won't you be accepted? What Cain heard there was, why can't you be more like your brother? I actually grew up with that. My younger brother, I was always Matt Manning's brother, even though I was the oldest one. I was always Matt Manning's brother. But that's what Cain heard. Why can't you be more like your brother? And this is what enraged Cain. Because you see, God's, uh, God was offering in this moment a second chance for Cain. God was offering mercy. Verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? See, I love God's character in this. Even in the beginning of the Old Testament, I have conversations with people often about well, Old Testament God. You know, he was an angry God. And he was a, a you know, he, he just wiped out people. No, actually throughout Scripture, it's pretty clear that God's character stayed the same. And even in this beginning, Cain is angry. He's brought an offering that isn't a favor of God, and, and Cain knew it. And God offers him mercy. God offers Cain mercy. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face the outcast? If you do right, will you not be accepted? God's first offer of mercy. But if you do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, and you must rule over it. God knew the rage that was in Cain for his brother. God knew uh, what the outcome could be in this situation. And so he pleads with Cain. He says, sin is at the door crouching. It would love to devour you. Cain's offering wasn't putting God first. And so because of that, it took over in his life. But if you do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and it deserves to have you, you must rule over it. You must take control of it. For this, uh, this plays out through the offering as well. If we don't give our lives, if we don't give the firsts of our lives, those things that we don't give of firsts become our lives. They take over, right? 
whether it is money. If we don't believe that our money is God, it's ours, and, we ha- and, and it can consume us. Time. If we don't believe God has blessed us with the time that we have on this earth, all of a sudden we don't have enough of it, and we definitely don't have enough to give back to God of our firsts. Ourselves. If we don't believe that we are a creation of God, that he created us uniquely and individually in our lives, all of a sudden our image of ourselves is in something other than what God says to be truth about ourselves. And then it consumes us. And we worry about it. And we stress about it. And it takes over our lives. Our selfishness. If we put our, our needs first above everything, then all of a sudden that consumes us and we don't care about anybody else. It's actually, if we're selfish in our lives, then it's hard for us to care for anybody else. A a child, a wife, God. Because God then becomes who? Our genie in a bottle, right? He becomes the person that, he becomes the person that we call when we need something. Like, I need something worked out in my life. And and, and God's all for me. It's for me. So that's what that becomes. And And there's numerous other, our status, who we are. See, God wants us to give our best and our firsts out of all of those things to him. A lot of times we hear, well, you know, we're just supposed to give it a tenth of our money. You know, no, it's, and that's, and it's not even about that. Like, that's a ritual. Like, it's just about putting God first and giving him the first of everything. And, and God says, man, you have a chance to do it right. He offers Cain that first chance to change things. If you just do what is is right, you'll be accepted. You'll no longer be Cain who brought a lesser offering than Abel. And I think we are like Cain. God, God warns him to keep it in check, to rule over this sin that he has in his life. And on that second chance, he says to his brother, hey, Want to come play in the field? Want to come hang out? Let's go. Let's go down to the river, you know? And, and, and Cain says, it, it, verse 8, not the river, but the field. Uh, now Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain got his revenge by schooling Abel in a game of soccer. It's in there. A lot of times I looked for advantages to to take it to my brother and we were a sports family and as soon as he could beat me in basketball that was it I just gave up on sports my youngest brother who's nine years younger than me was really good at video games so I couldn't take it to him on video games so I had little to no access to take it back to him but that's what Cain did here and he took it to the end he said come on let's go out in the field and what does he do he kills his brother now Cain said to his brother let's go to the field And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Jeez! Like, that's pretty big. Like, you'd think Cain, I mean, Abel's done, Cain's done. Like, end of story. Like, and then we could learn maybe even some of the same lessons we're learning this morning. But see, Abel was the fatality of uh, God's curse on mankind through Adam and Eve. We introduced this week one of this. Adam and Eve's rebellion... Uh, Cain's physical de- death was, a resur- was the result of, of uh, or Cain's sin was fulfilled that promise of if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what will happen? What did God say will happen? You will die. 
you will surely die. And then the serpent says, ah, you won't surely die. And thus began the believing something other than what God said. And so this is chronologically the first person mentioned in Hebrews 11. And we see that this lives out that, that curse that God put on Adam and Eve. And for us, it's, it's the difference between living eternally and not death. Same thing. His physical death fulfilled that, also the spiritual death that Adam and Eve had, separation from God. And this actually, amazingly enough, you got Adam and Eve, Cain, and then Abel, and there was obviously other siblings in there because they had children as well. But this was the rapid development of sin. That was quick. You're just talking one generation, and it had taken over. The fact that Cain and Abel both made sacrifices, though, demonstrates that despite God's curse on mankind, on us, that they both retained the desire to bring an offering to God, to continue to worship God as the creator. Then the Lord said to Cain, still interacting with him, mind you, Cain killed Abel, still interacting with him, Where's your brother? I don't know what he replied. Get this. He says, I'm not my brother's keeper. And poof, God took Cain out, right? Done. No, that's not even the story either. God continues to interact with them. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you are under a curse, driven from the ground, which opened its mouth and received your brother's blood from your hand. And this is God who continues to offer mercy. Cain brought a, a, a less than adequate offering, God's mercy. Cain killed his brother Abel. God continues to offer mercy. I love that this directly displays for us, even in the beginning, even when sin is, grip is right on us, we continue to see God's character and offering mercy. God's curse on Cain at this time was that he would wander. It says, wherever you set your crop down, you will yield one crop and you will be over. And so God actually says to Cain, you're going to be a wanderer. You're not going to have roots. You're not going to have family. Cain's like, oh, I'm worried people are going to kill me. And Cain, you can read it for yourself. Cain marked, God marked Cain and said, nobody will kill Cain. If you kill Cain, uh, you'll have seven times my vengeance, God says. And so Cain was set to wander. God's mercy still extended to him. And then later on, and I'll skip through it so we can get through it. Then later on, it says, Scripture, that Cain started to set up a city. So what was he doing? He was going against what God said, that he was going to be a wanderer, and that he wasn't going to be able to work the field anymore. And God extended mercy to him again. God continues to extend mercy in this situation. And I love that um, in this story, we actually see a great depiction of the lineage of Cain. So if you read Genesis 5, the lineage of Cain goes on and on. And seven times, in seven generations in, there was uh, a gentleman named uh, Lamech. I don't know how to pronounce it. That's the best I can do. And at that point, seven times, which is, which is completion, biblical completion, this guy in Cain's lineage says, you heard about God and his vengeance seven times for Cain. 
my vengeance is 77 times. I'm greater than your God. Seven generations later, Cain's lineage has fallen that far from the creator. He was part of the creation story in the very beginning. But scripture also tells us that, uh, that Adam and Eve had another son named Seth. Uh, a replacement for, Scripture tells us, a, uh, for uh, Abel who was killed by Cain. And his lineage goes on to Noah. And, and at, that, at the time of Noah, there was only eight righteous people left on earth. And God carried out his lineage still from the line of Seth, which is thought to be part of why Abel, not only by his offering, still speaks today even though he's dead. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, briefly it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive these promise, things promised. They also saw, they, uh, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So everybody before Hebrews eleven thirteen didn't get what God even though they had brought the offering, Abel specifically had brought the offering that honored the Lord. But by his faith, still speaks as an example for us today. So my question for you as we close this out is, what are you offering to God? What are you offering to God in your life? Are you offering your first? in your time, in who you are, and in your wealth, and in your talents? And why are you offering it? Are you offering it out of ritual? Are you offering out of obligation? Or are you offering it out of a changed heart for who created you? Are you offering it freely for God to do whatever he wants with it, not selfishly to get what you want out of it? Let's pray.